0: Welcome to this edition of Leaders' Corner, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the voices of Army Reserve leadership in a way that's engaging, vibrant, and informational. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class Jeremiah Richardson. Today we're going to do something a little different. We've tended to have a lot of senior NCOs on the program, but we don't want to limit the perspectives we offer to you all to just those viewpoints. We'd like to bring in some senior officers as well. With that in mind, we have someone very unique here today. His name is Colonel Eric Rahman. He's an Army Reserve Assistant Chief of Staff G3 with the 311th Signal Command out of Tustin, California. Now Rahman's not your run of the mill staff officer either. And let me tell you why. He's managed to do an enlisted career, finishing as a senior drill sergeant, studied at the University of Louisville and uh, earned multiple degrees from the University of Massachusetts while playing two sports and doing ROTC as an SMP cadet in the guard. He earned a commission, attended the US Air Force space and cyber schools and dealt extensively in communications and cyber operations. He's also deployed to Iraq and gained a plethora of joint experience. And he's managed to do all of this over 18 years as an officer while maintaining a robust civilian career. Now that's that sounds like a lot. And right now he's actually also in a civilian job a leader with Google and responsible for their army business. So Colonel Rahman, that sounds pretty awesome. You're like the closest person I've met to a real life astronaut and, and your army.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Sergeant Richardson. Glad to be here.
0: So, uh, tell me a little bit um, about why you ultimately decided to make the jump from green to gold.
1: So, that's an interesting question. I think, you know, if you, if you go back to when I first enlisted, The first thing I ever wanted to do was to be a drill sergeant because when I was going through basic training, I think that, you know, everyone's ever been through basic training has always looked up to their drill sergeants who mentored them. And that was the first example of a leader that I ever met uh, in the Army. So, you know, ultimately it started off with, hey, I want to do that. And then, you know, the longer I was in, I thought, well, if I'm going to stay in long enough... I think uh, if I have a choice between ultimately being a first sergeant or a company commander, I think I'd like to go you know, be the company commander. So uh, I literally went from being an acting first sergeant to a company commander you know, overnight with a direct commission, which is kind of a unique, unique position to be in, but uh, it's been a great ride.
0: You know, the majority of us enlisted soldiers have really very little idea about what senior officers do on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure many of my, my young Joes think that you're up there sipping coffee, you know, pontificating, <laughs> but I imagine in the realm of cyber operations and the other things
1: you do, it's
0: a lot more than we realize, right?
1: Well, I think the, the difference between, you know, being a, a enlist, junior enlisted, a senior enlisted, or even a company or a senior officer is that the, the higher up the food chain you go, the more time is spent preparing uh, and the less time is spent executing. So uh, in my case, you know, it's hours and hours and hours of prep time, you know, with others coordinating so that when you finally arrive there and, and you could probably attest to just in, in your coordination and executing a podcast like this, you spend all this time uh, preparing for what is ultimately, you know, a short uh, you know window of this podcast. But, you know, as a senior officer, it's, it's just a lot of planning time. It's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of conversations with different folks, you know, up and down the chain, making sure that they, they've got all the resources they need to be successful.
0: Yeah, I got a little bit of a taste of that as a training in NCO working alongside, uh, you know, um, operations officers, and uh, just seeing, you know, to Private Joe, he just knows he went to AT. Um, right. Everything that that it took just to get that going is uh, is quite quite the amount of work. So
1: I spent a bunch of time uh, planning exercises several years back, uh, the communications portions thereof, and you know, I can tell you it's literally a year's worth of preparation with a whole bunch of folks making sure every detail is, is, you know, I, I is dotted and T is crossed so that when the units arrive, you know, on station, in our case, it was at Fort McCoy, that, you know, every single, uh, contingency had been thought of every single, you know, communications, if this goes down, what are we going to do you know, our pace plans, everything. So, you know, it, it can be very involved, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's great to, to finally see things hit the ground and then see a plan come together.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it feels like there's, there's always some other stone that hasn't been left unturned when it comes to planning in sure. detail.
1: <laughs> well, no, uh, no plan survives first contact, right? So that's true.
0: That's true. Um, so your bio, I saw it, obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning, I was pretty impressed. It's like bursting at the seams with action. Now you're an Army Reserve TPU officer. How on earth have you managed to do this, all of this, you know, maintain a civilian career?
1: You know, that's a great question. And a lot of the folks I mentor ask me, you know, the same thing. It's, it's something I asked a lot of my mentors growing up. I'll tell you, it's probably one of the most difficult things is, is that balance between your civilian career, your military career, and, you know, your personal life. And, and quite honestly, you know, the three are never in balance. At one point in your life, um, you know, especially as you're starting out with a family, et cetera, that, that piece is definitely going to be taking precedent. You know, there are times where you deploy and your military career kind of takes over. Um, command time, it tends to do that. And then, you know, there are times where, you know, you're really gung-ho at your civilian career and you're trying to do everything you can. Either you're looking for a promotion or you're just trying to finish a project or, or complete something. And, you know, that's there. But, you know, it hasn't been easy. I got to tell you, as, a, as somebody who's been in 28 years now, I've been laid off from a civilian job three times. You know, one of which was uh, several of which are directly related to my military service. And it's it's difficult because while the uniform services employment Re- reemployment rights act or USERRA as we know it has protections out there for reservists nobody tells you what to do when your employer walks up to you and says uh, hey how many more weeks are you going to be doing this year i mean do you do you have to go do all these you know exercises are you going to be gone for more time and you know, it, there are protections out there. I mean, they might keep your job, but they certainly aren't gonna help you when you were up for a promotion and all of a sudden, you know, since you were gone, they gave it to somebody else. And, and there's a lot of gray areas where it's it's just difficult, you know, especially if there's a layoff within the company, you know, they can include a reservist in that layoff and, and really there aren't really any repercussions because if it's part of something they were doing anyways, then then it happened. In my case, you know, that was one thing that happened to me. So um, it, it's difficult, but you, I think One of the biggest tips I give a lot of the younger folks is nobody likes to be surprised, right? So when you have a training schedule for your entire year, get that in your employer's hands. Let them know ahead of time, hey, listen, these are all the places I know I have to be. There's gonna be a few more. I might have a professional military education I've gotta do for a couple of weeks. I might have another piece I've gotta do for a couple of weeks, but the more heads up they know and the more time they get to absorb all that, the easier it is for them to prepare what people don't like is coming in at the last second saying oh by the way you know i've got i'm going to be off this friday you know the th- thursday right before that yeah and uh, you know and to me you know there's a there's an onus on both the reservist and the employer to to come together and try to make that work so you know that's my advice to a lot of the younger soldiers is really communicate as, as much as you can with your employer and, and just try not to surprise them i imagine
0: that having experienced some of the things you have Um, in terms of the the frustrations with the TPU um, enlisted career and actually officer career and uh, employers has made you maybe more of an understanding commander, I'd imagine when it comes to these kind of relations.
1: Definitely, you know, and and I've stepped up on behalf of a lot of my soldiers and personally talked to employers. I've written letters on their behalf, you know, anytime I can get involved. And and a lot of the times it's education. So, uh, you know, a couple of times in my career both at ibm and both at uh, gartner i've had the chance to lead uh, veterans networking groups there and as part of that uh, we incorporated a you know a boss lift through the esgr or the employer of guard reserve program mm-hmm. and i gotta tell you what those go such a long way so if you ever have the uh, ability to get your civilian employer on one of those boss lifts it's great they usually you know set up training and you can even set one up within your unit whereby uh, you can you know get your employer out there during your annual training, during a battle assembly weekend, so they can see what you're doing out there, and then they have a certain appreciation for it. And then I think when you're asking for time off in the future, they tend to be much more understanding because they know exactly what you're going to be doing and they understand the importance of it all.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really awesome program, and I hope the Army Reserve finds ways to flush that out. I know our our sister components or even components within the Army like jsOC, they um uh, use SOC, sorry. They have a great sure. boss lift on Fort Bragg. That's amazing. And, and the employers go crazy for it. But yeah, just oh, yeah. having that firsthand experience really, really helps out a lot. Um, so another thing I've noticed sometimes with that is sometimes a soldier won't tell you that they're
1: having problems with their employer until it's right. like a, a problem. <laughs> well, many of them don't know. And I think there's so many things, especially the more junior soldiers. You know, there are so many things that they don't know, whether it's just you know, the expectations of them in the Army Reserve, their, their rights there. And so that's why these classes are, are incredibly helpful. And a lot of commanders, you know, just don't know that their soldiers don't know. So constantly reinforcing it and giving even the same class that you might have given, you know, on USERA or ESGR uh, a year ago at the holiday, you know, party, uh, you might want to do that a little bit more, you know, a couple of times a year you know now with the virtual world it makes it easier for people to do it or record it so that people can hear it but you know oftentimes you know those messages they we, we do them that one time and then we assume everybody knows about it well meanwhile 50 percent of the units turned over between now and you know the next time that that uh, you know next year the next briefing so uh, it's just going to be like anything else they've got to hear it you know time and time again
0: so when it comes to your civilian career what does it mean to be an army business
1: leader at google so Google's been a phenomenal company to work for. I got to tell you, this was was really a destination company for me because of the culture. It's it's really got a bunch of amazing leaders. I work for you know a lot of folks with prior service and really amazing backgrounds. I mean, I walk into the room and you know I'm I'm the dumbest guy there sometimes. So it's uh, the caliber of, of folks around me. I'm just blown away by. But ultimately, what we do is. We help the Army use technology to solve problems. So whether it's readiness, whether it's COVID, whether it's you know uh, modernization, all those challenges, you know, where Google brings their expertise to the table, it, it's mainly in the realms of artificial intelligence and machine learning, data and analytics. Uh, you name it, everything in that realm that we can help with. I mean, as a company with you know over nine apps with so a billion users each. You know, they've got a lot of, of knowledge as it relates to cybersecurity and artificial intelligence and, and how to leverage that for the benefit of the military. So uh, there have been a lot of ongoing projects, be it, you know, virtual reality stuff off the shelf, mobility, uh, you name it. But, you know, basically the, the world is, uh, you know, open to us. Anything within that Google umbrella, we have the ability to, to bring, you know, to value for our customers.
0: What's your experience been with them when it comes to uh, employer TPU relationships?
1: that's been fantastic i mean my my immediate boss was an f-16 bus driver so he's you know very understanding and we've got uh you know his boss over him was a retired air force 06 as well so you know they know the drill they've worn the uniform so they're unbelievably understanding but i gotta tell you as a company Man, what a phenomenal company right now we're in the process of hiring 20 uh, interns through our Heroes to Hire program where they're going out and finding uh, active duty folks, basically like the training with industry program that the Army mm. has. Yeah. Uh, a lot of mentorship along the way. We get to take people, you know, get them under the covers and actually show them how how uh, Silicon Valley, you know, behemoth like Google works and yeah. they can bring that expertise back to the military with them. And then you know, hopefully later on in civilian life, they can use that as a springboard to their own civilian careers. I've been out to Moffett um, Field a few
0: times at the 63rd Readiness Division and and I saw the Google campus is tremendously large. It's just huge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an awesome thing.
0: So you've had some good experience on both sides in terms of dealing with leadership when it comes to civilian side and the military side. like what lessons do you take from the civilian world leadership to apply to the military? And then we'll talk about vice versa.
1: Sure. Uh, I think when you work for a company, you know, like a Google and some of the other companies I've worked with over the years, IBM, Dell, Gartner, et cetera, they each have strengths, uh, whether it be the, the rigor that they use for the processes, you know, in my case, it's, you know, any process and anything is, is open for discussion. If there's a better way of doing it, uh, we actually have uh, part of the company culture is that you can actually take, you know, a certain percentage of your time and work on what we call a moonshot or, or something else that is just of interest to you that could be something more substantial. And after a certain period of time, they actually look at that project and say, you know, go or no go in terms of continuing on and making that like your full-time job. So if you look at something like Gmail, that actually came out of the incubator that you know Google had at the time, uh, to you know have somebody just go create something in a better way of doing things. So if you look at like the Google Docs platform, et cetera, the fact that you know multiple people can be inside a document, all collaborating at the same time, uh, those types of lessons in terms of modernization or what we want to bring to the military. So as I look at problems, I look at things within my own unit, the way we measure readiness, the way we uh, use data and analytics and data visualization, you know, I keep thinking about, well, how can we make this process better? Right? Because, um, uh, you know, chief staff, of the army talks about, we want to move away from being an industrial age army and move to an information age. Those are the things we have to bring. I mean, if you look at a battle assembly, what's the first thing you do when you walk in the door after formation, you flying in with a ballpoint pen, Oh yeah, that's a, piece, a piece of paper, like it's 1940, like you're waiting for the pay officer to show up and then, you know, yeah. give you straight hard cash like it's 2020, people. We got we, there are better ways to do this. We have, you know, GPS technology and we have, you know, ways to, you know, quote unquote, take attendance that are, are significantly more modern, but it starts with, you know, the way people envision it. So we're in a war for talent right now. We want to keep the most talented folks that we can in our army. And in order to do that, we need a process that's better than, you know, fill out this, you know, one form Uh, and email it to five people in order to get paid in a couple of weeks kind of thing. And there's no monitoring of the process. You can't see any of the workflow, et cetera. So uh, it's those types of things that we want to bring those best practices back to the Army to help modernize.
0: That brings about a larger conversation about how to get that moving within bureaucracy (laughs) and get the engine moving, right, when you have new innovative
1: ideas. And I, I know that can be probably difficult for you on your end sometimes. Well, I think what you got to do is you got to find those champions out there. There are senior leaders and most of us know the senior leaders that don't want to break glass and they don't want to take chances and they don't want to rock the boat. But there are some that are genuinely passionate about transforming the way we work, right? So those are the folks you need to go latch on to. And, and those people aren't necessarily wearing the most rank that just, you know, some of the subject matter experts. It could be, you know, a senior sergeant in a motor pool. It could be, you know, a senior admin person in an HR office. You know, those are the folks that, you know, have the expertise, they probably know what's broken, too. You go to any senior NCO and and ask them about a simple process like running a range or something, they can tell you the best way to do it and they can tell you what's broken about the process and what we need to fix. So, you know, I, I look for those champions who are willing to go, you know, break some glass and figure out better ways to doing things and not just do things the way we always have and let those people help champion those ideas up through the chain. And eventually, you know, some of those senior leaders are gonna look at that. And as the digital natives kind of rise and rank, uh, I think there'll be more of an appetite for it.
0: That sounds to me a bit like trying to create a culture where you know new ideas are welcome. And I think there's a hesitancy sometimes amongst once you start to get mid-career <laughs> for soldiers to be like, let's not rock the boat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's absolutely right, and that's you know that's why I challenge all of my peers to, to not get complacent because you know it, it's it's so easy to tell somebody no. It's a lot harder to let them have that freedom to to go try to you know solve things. That's why I love you know the idea of the Army Software Factory right now because the answers to most of our problems are sitting in our ranks in our formation right now, and we just need to tap into that energy. So. You know, many of those folks who grew up on these digital platforms uh, while they were going through school, they're used to working like that. You know, some of the folks that grew up, you know, pre-internet, pre-email, etc. you know, they're just starting to get to those senior levels. And, you know, eventually those digital natives will, will have those positions. and I think we'll be able to, to really force some change. And, you know, I'm, I'm extremely uh, happy with the change the current Chief of the Armed Reserve is making. I mean, she's out there on social media, and she actually asked, hey, I want to I want to jump in your battle assembly virtually. I'm like, that's fantastic. That's exactly what we need. Because when she's in there with the CSM, uh, you know, getting ground truth from those units, that's how you, you know, figure out what needs to be fixed and how to take those issues back up higher. So I really applaud her for doing that.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do like the direction that our, our new lieutenant general is, is, is going to be taking. But something you mentioned earlier kind of reminds me. I had the fortunate opportunity to work at U.S. Special Operations Command, signed as an AGR. The cool thing about being there that I liked um, was that when I came up with a new idea, I wasn't told no immediately from the from the from the outset. It was more like, "Can it add to our mission? How? Tell me how it adds to our mission. Okay, let's see if we can make it happen." It was no was it was there, but you had to if you were able to justify what you were doing. They're all about innovation. And, yeah,
1: and, and it, having spent some time at SOCOM myself, you know, I can attest to the culture within the special operations community embraces that stuff because, you know, those operators on the ground, they're the ones who are coming up with those suggestions. So,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that permeates the entire culture, like new ideas Definitely. out of the mission. It's almost an automatic yes. And yeah. um, and I think, you know, people like you bringing some of that mindset into the Army Reserve can really help us going forward. So I hear also that you are thinking about starting your own platform to talk about these kinds of ideas. Is that supposed to be like a podcast, a YouTube channel? What 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 are we talking about?
1: So the the idea came about, you know, in in talking to some of my colleagues. When I think about every assignment that I've ever been at in the Army Reserve, the one thing that holds true is that I've I've just worked with some amazing people, uh, and of, of all ranks, of all ethnicities, of all backgrounds. And people who are just unbelievably resilient and have overcome a lot of, you know, personal adversity in their life. So, I mean, just from my own personal experience, you know, I have, uh, I've been laid off several times. I got divorced six years ago. I've been through that. I've been through, you know, a lot of the challenges that we face. You know, my father came over here on a boat from Mosul, Iraq in 1959 and, you know, made a life for himself. And, and I was out on my own, you know, pretty early, having to work my way through school, etc. cetera. Uh, a lot of people have had, issues where they've had to rise up i don't care if it's a, a single parent trying to raise a you know raise a son or a daughter or, or more you know while serving folks that are going to school and finishing up their education while they're working while they're supporting a family etc and then i've got these unbelievable stories of you know colleagues of mine who have been ceos of civilian companies and you know one who's an SES right now uh as a major in the armed reserve they literally had to rewrite the regs to allow them to do that to take those civilian skills and bring them but. You know, just some amazing uh, stories of people overcoming and persevering, and so I, I want to be able to have a platform to tell their stories. So, you know, it's been great to to talk to folks like yourself and uh, others who have kind of given me some advice as to how to best tell those stories. And, and the idea would be to call it the Noodle Bowl, uh, just because you know ramen's a good thing. And you know, <laughs> nice. Everybody's had some some ramen in their career, right? So, uh, uh, you know, thinking about. How we could do that, maybe over a lunch setting, where where somebody can you know grab a bowl of ramen and, and pull up a chair and and we can all talk about some of these stories and really get inspired. That's that's really neat. I, I know we've been
0: talking a lot about you know adversity in the workplace and trying to overcome that, but but yeah, you're right. Um, some of the most resilient people I've ever met are in the military, and uh, I look forward to supporting that. And for anybody who's curious, um, we will actually have the link of his uh podcast or platform um and do you have a do you have a name for it or a website there sir
1: we don't yet but i I will put it up there on the on the army reserve link uh, as soon as we have it but we're going to call it the noodle bowl and that's that's going to be the name of the podcast and again looking forward to telling the stories of a lot of our great brothers and sisters who have uh really overcome adversity and and really just trying to, to pack some inspiration into every day yeah, we could definitely use
0: more of that in 2020. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> For sure. Um, so you kind of communicated to me what you hope to accomplish with your platform. Well, where, where do you hope, I mean, where do you see yourself 10 years from now?
1: Well, uh, I'll probably still be doing this because, of you know, my MRD is not until 2031, so I've literally got the next 11 years to, to go figure out how I can make the most impact uh, within the Army Reserve period. At that point i don't know civilian career-wise how much longer i'll do this i'll probably look at you know i'm looking at probably a five to ten year horizon before i decide uh to either you know cut down to some sort of part-time status or or you know spend some time maybe take an ados tour or something but you know i'm really just looking to make the broadest impact i can on on the most lives that i can uh, while i'm here and you know a lot of this now is to a point where Uh, You spend so much of your earlier part of your career trying to figure out, you know, how to do that next job, et cetera. Uh, And I I think somewhere around those field grade years, you realize it's not about you. It's about giving back to all those other folks who have helped you get there. So, you know, at this point, it's, you know, how can I give back? How can I find ways to help people's lives? And, you know, take the experience that I've gained and and help others with it. You
0: said something there that really reminded me of a recent interview I did with Lieutenant General Daniels. And she mentioned that, she wants her soldiers to start looking at two positions from them. You know, look down the road that far of where you sure. see yourself, where you envision yourself, because that'll give you not only a long term goal, but, you know, it just starts to, to set your path of, of where you want to go. Yes. Um, I, I think you'd be great working the ESGR personally, just because we could <laughs> use somebody with your, your mindset and that and your experience. But uh, anyway, so th- I just want to thank you for uh, having you on the program, sir. And uh, like I said, for anyone who's interested in his noodle bowl, is that what it's called? Noodle bowl, absolutely. Noodle bowl. bowl. As soon as he has it up, we will link it below the video. Just click down there below me. Uh, And that's it for this edition of Leader's Corner. We have upcoming episodes where we will introduce the new Chief of the Army Reserve, Lieutenant General Jody Daniels, to give her an opportunity to flush out her plans for the Army Reserve. We look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening.